Hi, my name is Ken Heidebrook. My heart's desire here at Hanging On His Words is to spread the entirety of the gospel message to whoever will hear it, and to serve my Creator by helping people learn how to be obediently in covenant with Him. Hanging On His Words is a ministry that not only teaches others how to run this faith race, but does so through compelling video and musical content. If you are someone that has personally been blessed by my music or video teachings or both, please consider contributing to my efforts. My goals are to step up my music and video production value, and more importantly, to create content on a more frequent and full-time basis. This is where you, you, yes, you, my patrons can make this possible. Whether your support is financial or through prayers and encouragement, I just wanted to say thank you very much. Shalom, and welcome to Hanging on His Words. My name is Ken Heidebrecht, and you are watching Honor of Kings, season number three. And this happens to be episode number five, and I just want to welcome those who have faithfully followed us for the last couple of years back. Welcome. And to those who are new to this, I want to say hi to you as well. I highly recommend you check out our previous seasons, as we do talk about some of the stuff in this episode in previous seasons, but it would just be good to, to catch up on some of the stuff that we've done just so you get an idea as to how we operate here at Hanging On His Words. Also, I have with me my cohort and, and good buddy, Sean Griffin. Hey, brother. Hey, what's up, Ken? Thanks for having me back. This is so much fun, man. We just get to dig into these apocryphal books. Yes, yes, it is fun. And it can be rather challenging. And I, I feel like this particular episode was a little bit more challenging for me because it talks about stuff that is related to eschatology and that can be a little sticky and confusing at times. At least it has been for me historically. So I think that uh, people in general who are interested in end times prophecy are just fascinated with how things are supposed to lay out. I know that this is, scriptures talk about it quite a bit, but it can be confusing because if you're not learned in the scriptures and in the foundation of the 66, some of the stuff that you know we could cover in other books might you know go over the heads. Yeah, the, all the themes that are built within what we refer to often as the 66, um, that's that's some of the things that we're looking for as well in some of these other books we're looking at, you know, whether they're considered apocryphal, deuterocanonical, pseudepigraphal. That's that to us helps us determine is it going to be lining up with the principles of Deuteronomy 13 and 18? I mean, are these things that are fundamentally being prophesied over and over again throughout all the prophets and that's uh it's a real good guideline that we found over the past couple seasons yeah yeah exactly and so for those who aren't familiar with how honor of kings operates as a show basically sean and i we've read and studied books that have been in canons throughout history and then were removed sometimes depending on which canon they removed them over time or they just weren't included in certain canons to begin with. And then you have others that kept them in their canons up until modernity. So it's fun because it's almost like you get to sleuth your way through these books and, and 
come to the conclusions of why some of them were removed or added or, or just weren't added to begin with. And I've had a great deal of fun with you, Sean, doing this. And I think it's pretty, um, I think it helps people out. Those who really want to search the scriptures and, and look into these other books that are in other canons, I think it definitely uh, gives them an area where they can see two brothers hashing it out and seeing what this is all about. And, uh, you know, without the fear of other people rebuking them or, or criticizing right. them for doing so. So they have a safe, right. a safe place here at honor of Kings. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has helped us sharpen like none before. In fact, this is actually what we're doing right now on live on camera. We, this is how we met uh, yeah. on Facebook several years ago. What's it been like five years ago now, six years, maybe where we met in Rob Skiba's hangout. His, his, he used to have a group that was like a private hangout. And so um, I don't know how I got in there, but I got in there somehow and you were in there. And I remember that was the first time we interacted. And it was because I was always challenging. I was, I'm sure I was pretty annoying to all the people in that group because I was always making posts challenging the status quo of what we were taught in church and trying to figure out, you know, where's this backed up in scripture, you know, and trying to ask, well, why come, how come no one's talking about all these scriptures, these hundreds of scriptures that talk about the day of the Lord and the resurrection and, you know, the covenants and Yeshua pre-incarnate, like what, what is all this stuff? Like, where's, where's all this conversation? Uh, and then people wouldn't, you were one of the few people that actually want to interact and go over the scriptures with me. And so, um, it was just my opinion, you know, the father bringing like-minded people together like, like-minded in our search for truth, you know? That's right. And so I was really grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. And me as well, obviously. We built a pretty good friendship and a show out of it as well. So it's been really good. And I know that there's many brothers and sisters who are like-minded and who have met in in similar manner and uh, just appreciate the fact that we have a, a love and desire to seek out these, you know, the, the answers for some of these questions that have been burning on our hearts for a long time. So, yeah. Speaking of brothers and sisters, that I'd like to just say hi to. I apologize for my manners the last few episodes. I, I, I haven't addressed the people in the chat, but I figured I should start doing that because you guys faithfully come back and watch our, our show. And I really, really do appreciate the love and support that you give. So the blood says, hey, brother, I see you in the chat there. Grang one. Hey, brother. Thanks for coming. Carla Mulberg. Hello, sister. How are you doing? Carla, actually, Sean, is is very excited for Lighthouse. I don't know if you brothers and sisters saw the uh, episode. A commercial just before we started the live broadcast but sean put up a lighthouse commercial and i know sister carla is specifically excited for the release of this platform because she has a business that she's put on hold for a long time that she feels she would be ready to launch on such a platform as lighthouse so brothers and sisters be looking out for that in the coming weeks it's going to be an exciting thing where like-minded people who don't want to have their speech suppressed and be shadow banned and not allowed to talk about things that they feel are important in today's society and the world, they can come to this type of platform and not be censored, which is huge. It, it boasts something rather unique than, than the alternative to what we see in today's world. So please look out for that and uh, join our Facebook group. Lighthouse has a Facebook group on Facebook specifically for that. Sean, do you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, let me actually pull it up real quick so people can take a look at it because it's it is um, it's growing. I mean, we're I think we're going to be at 10,000 members here probably by next week. So let me put that on screen for us real quick. And it is uh, just a free you. Anyone can join the group. So it's just a public group. Go in there and join. 
It's lighthouse.com. And this is where we're teasing and leaking information about the site that's about to be launched. This is a part of the, you know, the company's pre-marketing launch campaign. They're basically just want to come in here and say, Hey, we, we have an opportunity to, to get the word out ahead of time before we actually launch. So people, especially people that own businesses and sell products and people that create content and put up on, on video platforms like YouTube, um, they can, they can contact us early. We're going to be doing some meetings with them before we launch. So they're familiar with what's going on with the site. And, uh, and so this is just a great place for, you know, you to come in here where we're, there's memes shared, there's information shared about what the, what the platform's going to facilitate and what it's not going to facilitate. Um, Sometimes we even post information about the censorship that's been going on. For example, here's a list of like 69 different YouTube channels that had been censored or banned or removed um, in the past couple of years by YouTube. And this is just a small list of a huge list that's already out there. But um, go join the group. It's free on on, on Facebook. It's called Lighthouse.com. And this will help you uh, be aware and be ready. And we're going to announce an official launch date here in the in the weeks ahead. So um you, you don't want to miss it because basically you were, they've built it to where like, it's going to be the best of YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Etsy combined in one platform. And you have so much freedom to move around and investigate people, uh, people's businesses or their content or their page. And at, while you're still scrolling or shopping or doing whatever you want, I mean, it's revolutionary. It literally has a patent. That's how, that's how unique it is. So come on I'm over and visit. Yeah. It's, it's good I get the, I get to clear out some of the apps on my phone and just have one app. Oh, that's that's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So I just wanted to say hello to Latoya Christie. Hello, sister. Welcome. Charlie Hanscom. Welcome, brother. Mr. Bear. Steven Schofield. Hey, brother. Thanks for joining us. Paul Levi. Hello, brother. James122. Welcome here. Cover to cover with Jeremy Pierce. Welcome. We see Westblaze music in there as well. Hey, brother. Thanks for joining us. Love you, man. D love. Hello, sister. Welcome. And who else we got in here? LJ Angelo. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Carly McGinn. Hello, sister. Welcome. So guys, tonight's episode is going to pick up from last week where we had the cliffhanger where Baruch essentially leaves us with this question of what the tribulation which is to continue or what the father told him about whether or not it's going to take a long time or how many years it'll embrace essentially is what he's asking he wants to know is this is this going to take you know a couple of years before all this happens or is it going to stretch out over a long time you know can you kind of tell me some information about that we're going to cover that <laughs> natural cover natural that. question i can like if right. God tells you, i'm going to explain to you the end times and you're like oh wow so uh, you, you would have some questions <laughs> yes Yes, absolutely. And I like how the father responds to him and he doesn't, he's not um, condescending like some of the angels seem to be when other brothers like Enoch are like, hey, what's this about? And he's like, why do you want to do a little more grace with it? So it's fun. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but I, I like that, um, that reference to Enoch because we also see um, Ezra and second Ezra is kind of having the same attitude as we see Baruch and Enoch have. And it's like, there's a mixture of gratefulness that they're being shown this stuff uh, through prop, you know, vision um, usually accompanied by an angel showing up, but they're also just their natural humanity kicks in, right. Where they're just like a kid asking a whole bunch of questions, you know, that's yeah, really cool. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So what do you think, man? Should we just jump into it? Let's jump into it. So the, this one basically is going to review in these 12 parts of the end times as this chapter goes into and so we, we 
you know, kind of wanted to help people understand that this, the reason why I chose this graph here is that it's a circle because uh, we see that once we get to the 12th part, it's going to explain some unique things that makes it in like almost a circular fashion surrounding the end times. But ultimately, um, I also want to let people know just as a, a point of mental awareness as we go through these chapters that once we get to a certain point in this diagram of the 12 parts of the end times, it, the text doesn't talk about it, but we're going to parallel it because this is what we do here in Honor of Kings. We're going to show you how this stuff matches with the with the canon of 66. We're going to parallel it to the two witnesses in Revelation, as well as Apollyon from Revelation as well. So we'll help you understand where they fit into this kind of unique timeline that Baruch gives us. And so I'll just put those down here to the side for now, and we can jump right into the text. Yeah, sounds good, man. Yeah. And that, that graphic that you pulled up on the screen there reminds me of a clock. We've got 12, 12 hours in the day, right? Or, well, 12 hours um, on the face of the clock. Obviously, we have a 24-hour clock period, but yeah. it's just, yeah, it, it's for one uh, hour, we have yeah. one thing on the clock. So it's interesting, yeah. It is unique because last year, many many of you may remember in season one, we reviewed the Apocalypse of Abraham, and that also had a prophecy about the 12 hours of ungodliness, and it had to do with the end times as well. You know, in the last the, the last 12th hour of that breakdown was all these all these plagues and things that happened right before the end times. So, uh, which also would have been the same time period of the you know the two witnesses and, and Apollyon being on the earth at the same time. So, a lot right. of stuff going down, a lot of stuff to dissect, and this is probably why the father divvied up over multiple prophets. Yeah. Yeah. Very busy. Very, very busy. I think that if he gave it all to one prophet, it would have just, you would have had a brain explosion. Right. Or maybe so. you'd have written like 360 books, like supposedly Enoch did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> to which we don't have access to all those these days. They're at the basement, in the Vatican probably. Yeah. Yeah. Nor, nor Ezra's uh, fellow prophets who were scribing away, right. Extra books. Yeah. yeah. All well, right, do, you want, do you want the first chapter or do you want me to take it? Yeah, I can take it. Let's okay. pull it up. All right, so we're in Apocalypse of Baruch, chapter 27. And he answered and said unto me, Into twelve parts is that time divided, and each one of them is reserved for that which is appointed for it. In the first part there shall be the beginning of commotions, and in the second part there shall be slayings of the great ones, and in the third part the fall of many by death, and in the fourth part the sending of the sword, and in the fifth part famine and the withholding of rain and then the sixth part earthquakes and terrors so we have verse eight there that seems to be excluded out of the manuscripts here and in the eighth part a multitude of specters and attacks of the shadim and in the ninth part the fall of fire and in the tenth part rapine and much oppression mm. seems like some odious times sean yeah, and just for the viewer, I want to make sure everyone doesn't get too confused. That word rapine, um, it does sound like the the word R-A-P-E, and I'm not saying it out loud again because I don't want your video to get you know demonetized because uh, those are one of the trigger words uh, with YouTube. Isn't that crazy that that would be a trigger word for YouTube if you were doing like a documentary on R-A-P-E and explaining how women are, you know, yeah. need help for that or you know like, but yet they're gonna lower that in the rankings how how nefarious but um so basically the word rapine means it's basically like if an army comes in and takes something by force whether land property goods possessions plunder basically to plunder and pillage and that's why the secondary description in the same sentence is oppression so this is where military force comes through takes stuff and there's oppression as a result of that 
Right. And the uh, just for clarity's sake, the eighth part where it says the multitude of specters and attacks of the Shadim. The Shadim is just the word for demons, unclean spirits. Mm -hmm. And specters, yeah. I guess, would be included in that, right? I'm not sure. Yes. To me, it's just it's it one of those. a separate type of spiritual entity or if it's anonymous. But... Yeah, the Shadim in the specters to me is talking about the unclean spirits. It's two descriptions, just like I was talking about, the, you know, the raping and oppression, two descriptions of the same event happening in the same part. So that's to me, that's what I'm how I understand um, mentioning both specters and Shadim, because that's what they are. In fact, let's go to a quick verse in Deuteronomy 32, where it actually mentions um, the Shadim. And a lot of people don't, are, you know, they don't really know about it, but I'll go there real quick and see if I can put it on screen for us. Can anyone see that? Can everyone see that here? So here yep. in verse 17, um, this is just the NASB translation where it used the word demons. But if we go here into uh, the actual language and you go to the text of the Hebrew, you can actually see that the word demons is the word two is lalas. So it's sevshashidim. And so many people may not know, but the shin, uh, when it has the two marker dots on the bottom there, it's the SH sound instead of just the single S sound. So that's why you would say this as shadim. And this is this is the word for demons. So this is um, the shades is also sometimes what it's called. I think in Isaiah thirteen and other places. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's what we're looking at. And it's interesting because it's the eighth part out of this twelve part prophecy. And mm -hmm. as we're gonna read on about, I mean, it's it, it, we need to know like what what is it talking about? Is it a specific time in history when all this stuff takes place, or is it? You know, nearing the end only has it been along a timeline that's been rather lengthy still things that we haven't really come to uh elaborate on yet so we'll yeah. get we'll get to some of that but yeah the the first part I, to me it's pretty interesting because in the first part um it just says very vaguely there's commotions yes you know and i, I <laughs> and it makes me wonder like what you know is this and I, and this is speculation um but it makes me wonder, is that what Yeshua was talking about when he says there'll be, you know, um, wars and rumors of wars, that kind of stuff. There'll be uh, earthquakes in diverse places and there'll be all this kind of stuff. And I don't I don't know. I mean, the word commotions by itself, it just means like a, a condition of turbulent motion or a disturbance in general, mm -hmm. uh, a noisy disturbance. And so civil unrest is what sometimes um, is like here. I'll just put this on screen for folks to look at real quick. So this is. Um, Webster's Dictionary's definition of commotions. Can we see that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let me make it a little bit bigger for folks. So the word commotions, I mean, their very first, their very first definition is civil unrest and insurrection. Um, but it also can mean excitement or confusion, agitated disturbance. So I, I think this is interesting, Ken, because we're in a, like, I'm not saying we're, we're in these end time 12 parts right now, but boy, Throughout the last 40 to 60 years across the country, across the world, I should say, we've had multiple countries involved in civil unrest and the toppling of one one power creates another. And there's lots of insurrection and civil unrest. So yeah. it's just an interesting idea. Yes. The uh, the fall of many by death, which is the third part. I mean, I guess you could parallel mm -hmm. that to the first and second world war. I mean, yeah. it, I agree with you. It is. It seems rather vague. Um, especially the first verse there were commotions. I mean, commotions have happened since the beginning, right? right? So it's like, it's interesting that the father would just, I mean, he's 
it's like a slow kind of crescendo to where yeah. we get to the mixing, right? Which we were going to talk about in, in verses following, but um, yeah. And, and Sean, what, what's what's your opinion on the great ones, the slaying of the great ones? I think we discussed yeah. this with Adam from Parable of the Vineyard when uh, when we had him on in season one at the uh, the end of our first season there. Which brothers and sisters, if you guys haven't seen that, Sean, Adam, and I we we discussed this uh, chapter out of Baruch and several other. Uh, chapters out of other books as well so you might want to go over there and check that out from season one it was it was a good fun episode that we had with adam from parallel vineyard yeah um let's see. I can find it real quick but my basic idea of um here i'll put this up for people to see it's the prophecy of the end it's where we went with uh season one finale uh, if you guys want to go check that out but the slain of the great ones basically you know it reminds me of revelation uh, 19 where it talks about the great ones um but also reminds me of um it, it reminds me of just the the whole idea of i, I want to look into the original text to be honest with you i want to look into and this is the part i don't have access to when it comes to the apocalypse of baruch i want to look at um the word great and how it's used right there and if it's gadol um, or if it's any other version of, but unfortunately it won't be, it'll probably be in the Greek or the Latin. It won't be in the actual original Hebrew, uh, that specifically the, the paleo Hebrew. So this is, this is the part I struggle with, with some of these uh, words that I would love to normally look up because that's a part of how I find context. This is how I study. Um, but there's, but it's just the idea of the mighty men is what it makes me think of. And this is where, uh, I don't know about the slain of them because right now, I don't know if we're slain mighty men or the great ones. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, unless it's talking about um, men that are great in power and stature that rule over other nations, which is how that term is sometimes used in scripture and other places. Mm -hmm. And so this would be a part of those other descriptions that we were talking about where this is, you know, the, the fourth part, there's uh, the third part, the fall of many by death and the fifth, the fourth part is the sending of the sword. So to me, this would this is the mass war that we're talking about, where kings are toppled and nations are changing of power, things like that. So that's my best guess because I can't look into the actual Hebrew or Greek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be so nice to have that as a as a resource for sure, but unfortunately, we don't. So we have to make do yeah. with what we've got. And um, yeah, that one to me is that. I mean, it does a great response, Sean. It's uh, like a lot of these texts. It's going to remain slightly ambiguous to me until we until we get enlightened more with wisdom nearing the end and which which is interesting because we see that in daniel right where it's like the wise shall understand essentially nearing the end and we're going to see that in uh chapter ahead here where it talks about how yeah, chapter 28 yeah people are going to be seeking after wisdom after the father realizing that they've um, been out of covenant for quite a while and they want to get back in and seek the old ancient paths and with that comes the father's spirit and with the spirit comes the giftings and giftings of wisdom and and understanding of the uh the ancient words and prophecies that have been recorded and and uh, you know abandoned essentially over a long period of time so hopefully we can fine-tune this and then get to uh better understandings and future episodes ahead but for myself there's a bit of a caveat i'm i'm and I'm, i think i'm speaking for you here as well sean we while we really love studying these things, we feel like we can't come to definitive conclusions regarding some of these prophecies that are mentioned, especially when we don't have the original manuscripts to to see what words have been used and whether or not the translators of these manuscripts today 
did a good job in and conveying what the uh, the original words were. So we're just doing our best, guys. We're not claiming to have all the answers here. Okay. Yeah. This is just us sharpening this as part of what Honor Kings is. It's it's just like looking at the text and seeing what it says and paralleling them with the uh, the Protestant canon of sixty six and, and what it has to say. So, yeah. In fact, as far as translators go and how they translate the books and the best they can and what they know, like we've talked about before on this on this Honor King series, is that when when someone translates something it's it's not difficult because you have people that speak greek and then people that speak english it's not difficult to translate word for word it's the comprehension of what the sentence and the paragraph and the context is saying right. uh, that's that's what requires in some cases an actual pre-knowledge or a, you know a foreknowledge of the text that you're going in to translate but think about this guys sometimes the people that are handed a manuscript from ancient greek and they said please translate this for us well, the person that's handing the manuscript, he may not have any any understanding of the law and the prophets, or the actual context of the Bible in general, of all the you know the concepts within it. He's just looking word for word. How do I translate this over? And therefore, if something that he translates doesn't make sense, he'll never know. He'll never pick it up because he doesn't he doesn't know the context of the story, uh, the history of the people, the book itself, the theology built into all the books that's consistent. So this is why when it comes to some of these books that doesn't have the depth of scholarship like we do with the modern canon of 66, like I can go into the book of Ken, I can go into the book of Hebrews, and you can go into certain translations like the NASB, and you can see all the italicized words are the words that have been inserted by translators trying to make sense of what they think it should say from the mm -hmm. Greek. Mm -hmm. Now that you don't see that in every translation, but thankfully some translations actually show you by italicizing those insertions, uh, which I think is very helpful because you can see in certain places, especially like in chapter nine, where they just insert the word covenant and it shouldn't go there at all. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> right. Because, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they, it, it revealed that they didn't understand Jeremiah uh, and the covenant and Isaiah and a whole bunch of other places. Yeah. So therefore they, they did the best they could and what they thought because they had this dispensational supersessionism, Trinitarian theology, and they just started inserting words to make sense of it. So we don't have even that option with stuff like mm -hmm. the book of Baruch. So we're just doing the best. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Stephen Schofield saying in the uh, comments there and some translators influenced by doctrines of men. Yeah, that's right. exactly what Sean was saying yeah. there. It's, it's unfortunate. I mean, that's, that's what we've got. And, to add on to what Sean, what you were saying there, I mean, that was kind of one of the job descriptions of the the priests, right? Is that anyone that descended from Levi, their job was to copy and teach the people what the father recorded to them, right? That's right. And so um, part of that onus is that they had to understand everything <laughs> in order to teach something properly and, and be a good scribe and and convey the message and and, you know, preserve it over time for posterity reasons you had to know the message you had to know what was in there and yeah. that was part of their duty and and as sean was saying we've got people who have good hearts and have a desire to do it but it's 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 different than what the father mandated for the priestly line to mm -hmm. to do that's why we have deuteronomy 13 and deuteronomy 18 speaking about the person and not the manuscripts so the, you know, the premise of those chapters is telling you about if, if there's someone that's leading you that comes in, who's a dreamer of dreams, sees visions, who prognosticates something, and that doesn't come true, or that person, even if it did come true, and if he's trying to lead you away from the covenant with Yahweh, they're a false prophet. 
they're not real. So that, that whole concept there is that they come in, say they have the Book of Mormon and they come in and they start saying, oh, well, this Book of Mormon sure does sound like the Book of Deuteronomy, right? It sure does sound like the law of God in some ways. This Maybe this is another prophet of God, but then you start seeing, oh, things he's prophesying in his own lifetime don't come true. So then suddenly yeah. the people that should be listening, that were listening to him should stop listening to him because he's already proven himself a false prophet. And, and his actual words are leading you away from the actual words of Yahweh. So it never says if someone comes to your camp with an old manuscript, believe the manuscript, or with the KJV, then that's the only perfect translation, pure and unrefined like silver. It never says anything like that. It just simply says the man that's giving you the message, he's the one that you need to trust, which is exactly what Kim was talking about, the priest's. And the scribes usually were priests had the responsibility of knowing the message so that when they ran it, they could literally write it down and pass it around. Or if they ran across another manuscript that was faulty, they could see the errors and mm -hmm. they could correct it. This is why you have this common Hebrew idea of looking to a prophet or a priest and asking them for a sign because anybody can come up and say anything. So they were looking to see these guys that have the true message of God, usually some sort of sign accompanied their message to validate that that person truly was from Yahweh. And this is why, if, you know, sometimes the sign came in the form of an actual immediate prophecy that was about to come true. And so this is where, you know, this is where that whole mentality comes from that we see going on with Jesus and the Pharisees are like, give us a sign that you're truly from God. And he's like, are the miracles not enough? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is my sound doctrine that I'm telling you everywhere I go, is that not enough? Yeah. And he's like, all right, this wicked and adulterous generation, they're just going to get the sign of Jonah. You know, so you're doing like, this all on the Sabbath. That can't be a sign. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, this is why like, I'm just adding to, and hopefully bolstering what you were saying, Ken, like, yeah, it's, they, they didn't walk around saying they had a perfect translation. They trusted a man who was sent by God as a messenger as Malachi chapter two, verse four through nine explains who had, a, who had proper doctrine and sound theology and was able to teach that to other people. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm saying? So what we're doing, it, we kind of approach it in a very unique way backwards where we are looking and saying, Oh, there's gotta be a perfect Bible. And then we've got to run with that there. Now I, I hate to even talk about it like that because you know this please remember the context of everything we said is that we we compare translations manuscripts we do our historical research we're not just saying that you can make the bible whatever you want to make no if that's what you came away from me just saying then you didn't listen to anything what we're talking about is a sound theological message is consistent throughout all the words of the prophets that they did get from god validated by angels and written down amongst the people proved with signs and wonders and passed on for generations ahead this is what the stuff that we're studying and comparing. So at no point are we just running through here saying, oh, well, that that I don't like that. So we're going to throw that out. No, the whole point of this show is that we're lining up consistency and doctrine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. I agree. Yeah. So you want to move on to chapter 28? I think I think we've kind of concluded that a lot of what's yeah. talked about there needs to be assessed based off of what's coming. Forward. Yeah. What, I just had a quick question. Uh Unfortunately, we we don't have verse eight in this manuscript, which is which I'm sorry sorry to hear. Um, so we don't know what is it the the seventh part. We're missing the seventh part, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. But the eighth yeah. part, I wanted to ask you, what do you think? What do you think the eighth part means? Like I we we've already defined it. Literally means unclean spirits. But what do you mean the attacks of? What do you think that means? Yes. So. If I recall correctly, based off of the episode we did in season one, I think we, we 
talked about how was it the apocalypse of Abraham that had similar um, things describing the end times with with the different oppression, the, the you know the sword going through the land, the fires, the famines, the the beasts coming out, and all that stuff. So I think there was one extra uh, detail in there that possibly could have slotted into that missing part in verse number eight there, which would be the seventh part. But um, as as to your question, Sean, um, it sounds to me that it could be referring to uh, the instance in Revelation where we see Apollyon coming up with his chimeric unclean spirit entities and wreaking havoc on mankind at that juncture. So it could okay. be that that's that specific. I don't know if it is that specific or if it's just referring to, you know, a trickling of spiritual oppression throughout, you know, the several centuries past. Uh, or if it is like literally pinpointing that specific moment in, in John's revelation, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So th this is part of the, this would be at the beginning of the 42 months here in Revelation 9, if this was the attacks of the Shadim and the specters, um, where because it literally says that, you know, they're tormenting men. So this is not just them influencing them towards deception like unclean spirits do today, but this is an actual attack. Right. Which, which to me brings up this idea of like what they, these things come out with, they're not like ghosts anymore. They're not like shades. These things come out like actual uh, entities that can touch you and attack you. <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah. very, very interesting to ponder upon because I've wondered how that's going to work when they get released, right? When, when Apollyon gets released with his army <laughs> in the underworld below, they were first, they were sent there as unclean spirits that didn't have bodies correct sean right exactly they so lost they, their bodies before the with the flood so right so when they come back it seems that john sees them as something that has a, a it's corporeal almost mm -hmm. some sort of body it looks like a hybrid body that was created for them to inhabit in my opinion yeah. part of the transhumanism agenda in my opinion because of what it describes you know the hair like a woman teeth like a lion face like a man what does it say? They got like a horse body. They're like like horses yeah. dressed for battle, you know, and they got tails like stings tails. of scorpion. Yeah. yeah. Scorpion tails. So it to me, that sounds exactly what we see from the ancient times about them creating chimeras and mixing species together. And so right. it makes me wonder if that was the reason they were doing it in ancient times. It says the unclean spirits could actually inhabit a host body. Mm. Yeah. Man, very interesting to think about. But Sean, so if this is correct, and we're, you know, this obviously we're speculating, guys. But if this, if we're landing somewhat close to something being promising here, then I guess we have a time qualifier, right, Sean? That this eighth part would be during the, uh, well, at the, at the outset of Apollyon's reign when he's released, right, for the forty-two months before Yeshua's return, right? To me, it would make sense because of the fall of fire is the ninth part, and this is what I've talked about um, before. And I, let me just bring this up real quick. In my, so this is me and my understanding of this thing um i think it's in 17 where it talks about the beast and uh, mm -hmm. who's the little horn and the world wonders after him where to go um he's deceiving the world is it in 13 or 17 that no, no you're there you're there go go down i think it's verse 10 11 the beast which one 12 the 10 horns yeah, it's right here, but I'm looking for the part where it says he even makes um, fire fall from heaven. That's, oh. that's in 13. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this is. Um, yeah, he deceives he, the nations yeah, he, by doing that, calling down fire from heaven, right? Yeah. Um, even perform. Yeah, this is verse fourteen, I believe. Nope, verse thirteen. Yeah, 13, 13, how occultic, huh? So he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Now, every, I'm sure everyone's already aware about the military do project, <laughs> the directed energy weapon project uh, that the U.S. military has been perfecting for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of people don't realize, I'm going to, let me see if I can cue this up just real quick, brother, just for more entertainment for the viewer going yeah, do above it. and beyond. Um <laughs> Get some visuals in here. Uh, That's what we're lacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is. All right. It's only a minute and 30. I'm going to take the sound off. So hopefully we won't get any kind of copyright issues. Uh, let me put it on screen here. This was actually in a movie called Real Genius back in like 1985. And this was uh, the intro. And it's about the, the directed energy weapon project. And this is the intro to their movie. Obviously, we got a fake space globe setting with a high altitude um, plane. This actually, this type of plane was uh, spoken about in 2010. It's a part of a DARPA project that can go Mach 22, supposedly. And uh, but the idea was they would retrofit or outfit this particular high altitude plane with an actual laser. And this was a part of the directed energy weapon uh, projects that were already going on back in the 80s. And so this laser, according to like the premise of this movie, Real Genius, was that they this college group of physics uh, advanced students were being able to build the mirror lensing for the laser as well as some of the component pieces for the laser. And they didn't realize they were doing a, a uh, project for the U.S. military. And so because the, the goal of the U.S. military was to be able to pinpoint from really, really high altitude a something as small as a car or an individual and shoot them with a laser from space and fry them. Right. Interesting. Right. That, that almost reminds me of another movie, Sean. Uh, I think it was one of the James Bond movies with Pierce Brosnan. Was it The World's Not Enough? Were they they were able to get some sort of a, a massive laser out into space and it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. That's that's, it's been in a lot of different shows to be honest with you. And so um, this is to me, this is the, the physical manifestation of this prophecy in our modern times as the enemy continues to press forward uh, with getting the nations of the world to help it build the things that it wants to build in order to fool people for deception. This would be one of them. And I've, I, from a, from a, a military standpoint, we just went over that concept there, right? This would be consistent with part nine that we're reading from Brute 27, the, you know, fire falling from the sky. But from a theological standpoint, what do we know that's going on with Jerusalem right now? We've got Zionists trying to build a third temple. And when they do, they're going to want to, uh, to, to dedicate that third temple. And in scripture, a true temple from Yahweh was dedicated by fire falling from the sky. Right. That was one of the signs. It happens with Abraham. It happens with Elijah. It happens with uh, it's Solomon's temple. It happens in Leviticus nine with Moses and Aaron. It was part of the you know the the fire cloud with the angel inside who fire shot out from him and, and lit the altar. So this this whole concept here is, in my opinion, um, the you know the beast and the second beast. They're trying to deceive the nations and by and also the religious. Uh, components of the nations, not just the the political people of the nations, but also the people that are greatly religious, including everyone who might believe in Yahweh. So this is part of the great deception. And in my opinion, this is why we're seeing this mentioned in Baruch as well. Could very well be, brother. 
yeah very very interesting very interesting wouldn't surprise me if that that's something that they attempted to do because yeah. i mean it's like you said there's a a model for it in scripture and if you're going to validate a temple that is not supposed to be there but people don't know about it then you're gonna you're gonna try to do something that's that's in like fashion to what was done before in times to get people to to you know to buy into what you're trying to do so it wouldn't surprise me man yeah and to me this is why the 10th part would match with uh you know the, the military uh pillaging of other peoples and nations and land and property which is called rapine and oppression because you would have this is the beginning of the first seal with the antichrist the beast going out to you know to make war on the nations so right but yeah we'll uh we'll jump to the rest and we'll go to um the parts 11 and 12 of this prophecy um here in just a few minutes when we come right back Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, and their act removed our ability to walk around unrestricted. No need to worry, though. Hanging on his words has got you covered. Literally. Find a link in the video description. back welcome thank you so much guys for sticking around with us i see the chat is still lively and it's it's uh, growing so thank you for for joining us brothers and sisters i see there's about 50 some odd people watching right now if you guys wouldn't mind just hitting that thumbs up button or the thumbs down if you don't like us you don't like what we're talking about that's fine you can hit the thumbs down button too but either way it would be appreciated if you could leave some sort of a mark that you were here watching um, and if you could subscribe as well, if you're new and you have not uh, subscribed to this channel, please do so. And also go over to Sean's channel, Kingdom in Context, and hit his subscribe button as well. He does amazing videos and um, we're partners in ministry here. So we're kind of a, a package deal when it comes to stuff like this. So please show us both some love if you've been benefited by anything that we've done over the last couple of years. That'd be really great. Thank All you, right. Stephen. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Stephen. appreciate you. The blood saves. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for thanks for uh, your support. You've been with us for a long time. All right. So here's 27 verses 12 through 15. And um, you want me to read this part real quick? Yeah, go ahead, man. It says, in the 11th part, wickedness and unchastity will happen. And in the 12th part, confusion will happen from the mingling together of all those things that we just talked about, after said. For these parts of that time are reserved and shall be mingled one with another and minister one to another. For some shall leave out some of their own and receive in its stead from others, and some complete their own and that of others, so that those may not understand who are upon the earth in those days that this is the consummation of the times. Yes. <laughs> That's wild. So it's, it's from what I understand this just read, Ken, it's not saying that all 12 component pieces we see on the screen are happening at the same time, but it's saying once we get to the 12th part, all things that it's already been talking about is going to be happening inside the 12th part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's like it's like it's like heightened. Everything's heightened inside the 12th part. Yeah. It's almost like it's just you're just layering. It's like a cake almost, right? You got the bottom base and it's just and that's that doesn't even work really. 
it, it, you yeah it's like a layering effect right and and the the outer layer i guess could be the 12th the 12th part where it's all just kind of encapsulated everything into one and yeah. some of the parts are are lacking because other ones are filling in the gaps as he's saying here too yeah. so it's just it's it's crazy i mean when we look at the uh, the 11th part here where it says wickedness and unchastity i mean unchastity obviously is, is premarital sexual relationships that that yeah. are ungodly right unrighteous um we've and seen we, that for quite this is lawlessness right exactly right. yeah so that this reminds me of yeshua right that lawlessness will increase mm -hmm. leading up to the end yeah exactly so it's kind of crazy to me it's like he's saying oh you thought part one was bad you thought part two was bad you thought part six was bad it's all going to happen together at the same time once we get to the end of this thing yeah. it's like it's like yeshua uses the you know the pregnancy analogy analogy of the the, the birth pains that increase, mm -hmm. you know, towards the very end. Right. So. And it's such a, an apt analogy to use because it's, it's, I mean, it's true, right? Because yeah. at the culmination of these birth pangs comes a, uh, a consummation of the ages where there is a, a resurrection where the sons and daughters of Messiah get birthed out of Sheol, which would be a great, great aspect of the day of the Lord. Terrible for those who, who want to fight him at his return, but great for those who, who want to be in covenant and experience the resurrection that, that you should also experience. So yeah, man. Yeah. That's it's great. it's pretty interesting. Uh, that Baruch is now going to, going to be asking us in the next chapter. And I don't know if you want to take this one or not. Oh, by the way, I just put the two little two witnesses and the Apollyon picture. I just put it in the 12th, the 12th thing there. <laughs> right. Just to let yeah. people know that this is going to be, from my understanding, this is going to be when the 42 months from Revelation is truly in effect, is in that mm -hmm. 12th part. So, right. And it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting, Sean, because when we have the mingling of all of these in this 12th part, mm -hmm. it, we're going to see depopulation happening, right? Like there's going to be a lot of uh, a people who are going to perish during these times and to the point where i think it was was it a matthew 24 where where yeshua talks about how if if these days aren't shortened there would be no one saved there no one alive would be alive to come into covenant and receive salvation on the day of the lord so it's uh perilous days ahead very very odious perilous days ahead yeah absolutely and i can't remember if it's Pacus abraham or if it's um uh, or if it's second Ezra's that talks about it, it's the, that's why the, the Messiah has to come and shorten the age. Uh, just like he mentions in Matthew 24, I'll have to go back and look at it. But, um, this is, as you can see from the chart on screen, if everything's happening at once from all the previous 11 stages, once we get to stage 12, then yeah, there's going to be an increase, which is interesting because it says in stage 12, it just says there's confusion. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know. you have all these horrible things listed previously, but then you get to 12 and he's like, and there's just confusion because now all of it's happening at the same time, flowing back and forth, you know, depending on probably where you are in the world. And, um, but, and so people are just straight up confused. <laughs> yes. Sounds like 2020. <laughs> confusion <laughs> abounds. Yeah. All right, man. We can jump. To so you want to jump to 28? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. I can read that. Nevertheless, whoever understands shall then be wise. So this is what we're aiming for, right, Sean? This is this is why we do what we do. We want to be wise. We want to understand what it is that these prophets of old have recorded and and what has been preserved for us over time so that we can understand what it is that we're going to experience in these days now and in days ahead. For the measure and reckoning of that time 
are two parts a week of seven weeks. <laughs> and I answered and said, it is good for a man to come and behold, but it is better that he should not come lest he fall. But I will say this also, will he who is incorruptible despise those things which are corruptible and whatever befalls in the case of those things which are corruptible so that he might look only to those things which are not corruptible? But if, O Lord, those things shall assuredly come to pass which you have foretold to me, so do you show this also unto me, if indeed I have found grace in your sight. Is it in one place, or in one of the parts of the earth, that those things are to come to pass? Or will the whole earth experience them? It's a great question, Baruch. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if it was just isolated somewhere? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting, um, uh, just as this, we don't have to talk about this very long, but it just I think it's funny that he's using the terminology we see in the new testament he's like have i not found grace in your sight hmm. you know like oh grace is in the old testament it's in genesis 6 and here it is in the apocalypse of baruch yeah yeah and so and for for those of you who don't understand i guess uh, that that grace is extended to us through the father's law and that that law is used and allocated uh it, the grace that it goes through that law through the priesthood and so that's why yeshua became our high priest to give us grace so this is um, beautiful. And that, that word most times means favor. So, yeah. Yeah, amen, brother. Yeah. Father has always been gracious. Always merciful and gracious. It's, it's part of his qualities, who he is. He never changes. Yeah, 100%. Amen. So, Sean. So we've got this unique unique thing here. Yes. Flashed on screen here. And this is a part where we'll, you know, put in the comments, guys, if you have any ideas. But this is this is the best I could come up with. So I just made a quick little slide. Um, I think Ken, I think you were still trying to do your own calculations. Um, well, this, I mean, I, I have what I think is possible, but why don't you tell our audience how you came to that specific number based off of what sure. you got so, highlighted there? So what we've got in the highlighted yellow where his Baruch asked the question, you know, what, how long is this going to happen? When's this, you know, what's going to go on? It's going to happen to the whole world or just a small place, but the timing that is explained in this first passage where he says that the, the measure and the reckoning of that time are two parts, a week of seven weeks. So to me, the way my brain understands the wording, and again, unfortunately, we can't look into the Greek. It's a, if, it, if I have two of something, and it says two parts, a week of seven weeks. So a, a, a week in the terminology of these books, just like Daniel and also the Book of Jubilees, is seven years. So if you have a seven years of seven weeks that's biblical math <laughs> who knew that who knew that there was basic math taught in the bible so this is biblical math um based off of the the idea of a jubilee which is a week and then you would have seven weeks which is 49 49 weeks basically 49 years divided so it's so it's seven times 49 so it'd be a week which is seven years times seven weeks which is 49 and so that's how i can if you have two of those totals you come to 686 years for all 12 parts of this prophecy in baruch to, to take place and come to its fulfillment so that's my understanding of it if anyone so i know there's you know go ahead ken yeah no 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 it's great man it's great and um it could very well be. I don't know. This is one of these things that I just I, I'm very uncertain about, and I'm not going to claim to 
to, you know, say that I know exactly what this is that's talking about because I don't. But where I'm at, brothers and sisters, is that similar to what Sean says is the week of seven weeks. So we have one week is a Jubilee type of week or a Daniel type of week where it's referring to not just a week as in seven days. But we got each day of a week is one year on each day. So we have seven years in one week. So when it says um, are two parts of a week of seven weeks, I'm thinking that it's 49 uh, years. And then the two parts of one of those weeks of the 49 years is split in two. So it would be three and a half. So we got two, right. three and a half parts, which make up one week. And so to me, when I was going over the math the first time a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, wait a minute, that that might line up with the 42 months of Apollyon's reign, right? Where there's a three and a half year period where he comes, you know, out of the bottomless pit with the uh, angelic or the, uh, un the unclean spirits and wreaks havoc on the earth for three and a half years. So I'm thinking, could this be what it's talking about here? That there's out of these two parts of one week, we have a three and a half and a three and a half possible. I don't know. But then to what Sean was saying, I mean, it's um, then we're talking about everything kind of jammed together in a very, very small uh, time frame there. Whereas, you know, 686 years gives you a little more time for these things to kind of culminate over the consummation period, as opposed to everything just kind of in 49 years and then really amping up in that last part happening. And it could be that too. I'm not, I'm not that, gonna... yeah. That was my other guess was that this is just taking part in uh 14, so it'd be two weeks, the two parts of a week of the 49 year period. So that was my first thought when looking at this was that oh, it'd take place over 14 years at the end of a Jubilee scale. But no one knows the Jubilee scale anymore because we've lost the true calendar. <laughs> so then we're still left with looking for other more very specific signs like you know the polyon coming out of the earth or the two witnesses showing up which that if you see any of those two you know you've got 42 months till your shoe returns right so and that's that's the unfortunate thing sean is we've got to incorporate the calendar debate into this because three and a half years on a gregorian calendar is completely different than what it could be on the original calendar that the father created for for mankind to be following right so it's that's why this is so hard and and as sean is saying that's why we had to you know look out for specific markers landmarks certain individuals who have been prophesied to come about onto the into the narrative right and, and then we can determine okay this is roughly how much time we have left so yep yeah, because like that first one, the one that says commotions, and I looked up the word and, you know, it says civil unrest or insurrection, um, that would also fit with one of the plagues mentioned in the end times in the Apocalypse of Abraham, where it talked about there's um, conflagrations, which means mm -hmm. that cities are being burned. Fire, yeah. So that would happen with civil unrest and insurrection. I mean, that's literally happening in the United States right now with all these riots. So it just makes you wonder like if that's been that, and we, and most people who um, do their diligent research know that, you know, the certain uh, political socialist Marxist organizations that are behind these riots are funded by other entities that want to destabilize the U S and other company and other countries. So it's like, that would, you know, that's all part of the same behavior that we see, that's being listed in, in a variety of prophecy here, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, just back to the, the whole two parts of a week of seven weeks, it's, I really wish that Baruch was like, 
okay, father, just for clarity's sake, are we, are we talking yeah. about like he didn't answer, he didn't respond to that specific part, which I wish he would have, but clearly oh, he had a night. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was sorry. just going to say clearly he, it wasn't an issue for him, right? He was on a, on a calendar that he understood. He he knew, you know, how much a week was in terms of, how, of the years, the, the seven weeks. He knew what that equaled. Whereas yeah. we many, many centuries later have to scratch our heads and be like, what, you know, what are we talking about here? So good thing that we have books like Jubilees that inform us as to, you know, some of the, the uh, things that are being communicated in some of these other books were, we wouldn't have a clue as to what it's talking about. If we took it literally, right? If we took it literally, that wouldn't even make sense. So, right. Yeah. So we get, you know, the actual cipher from other, from the term, the idioms that are being used for these type of measurements. And that's, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for, for books like Jubilees because that's why so many people struggle with prophecy in Daniel because he starts mentioning the weeks and people had no clue what that means, you know? And so the, to me, though, it's like, this the way that he's this is spoken this is why i struggle and i want to look at the original language and how it's written because it makes me wonder is this a translator issue because i've seen so many translation issues in in the canon of 66 where they'll add stuff to it because they think it means something so it mm -hmm. could not even be a week of seven weeks it could just be a week of seven Meaning like actually like that could have been the original translation. And, and this yeah. is all speculation, guys. This is just you're just watching live Ken and I spitballing trying to figure <laughs> this out. So I'm just saying like it, the translator could have just inserted that second word weeks there at the end of the sentence. And it could originally in the Greek just been a week of seven because they know what a week of seven means. It's 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 a jubilee. But then the translator didn't know what that means and tries to make sense of it by throwing a word in there. So the, the, I just struggle. It's hard to understand this statement. Yeah. And, and you know. Did they even get the number right? Could it be a week of 70 weeks? Which is right. with what Daniel's talking about, you know? So yeah, even that. And also yeah. the testament of Levi. Um and and uh oh right, yeah. Yeah, the testament of Levi, you know, so yeah. in Testament 12 Patriarchs. Yeah, it's it's frustrating, but um, and we've got even more unique stuff coming in the next chapter right here. Yeah, go for it, brother. So it says here in chapter 29, verse one through four, and he answered and said unto me. Whatever will then befall will befall the whole earth. Because Ken, remember, he was asking, like, is this going to just happen in, in Israel or is this going to happen all over the world? And then the yep. father's saying it's going to befall the whole earth. Therefore, all who live will experience them. For at that time, I will protect only those who are found in those selfsame days in this land. And it shall come to pass when all is accomplished that was to come to pass in those parts that the Messiah shall then begin to be revealed. And behemoth shall be revealed from his place, and Leviathan shall ascend from the sea. Those two great sea monsters, which I created on the fifth day of creation, and shall have kept until that time. And then they shall be for food for all that are left. What? What is it saying there, Sean? Yeah. Wow. That's There's... it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's saying that uh we're gonna get some huge kaijus show up, some huge Godzillas are gonna show up, and yeah. he's gonna I mean, this is exactly what's described about Leviathan and Behemoth, right? They're massive, mm -hmm. seemingly um, reptile-looking like monsters, you know? Like they're massive beasts that nobody wants to mess with, according to Job, right? Yeah. Yep, so. exactly. And, uh, you know, Baruch wasn't surprised by this either, which is interesting, because then that means he likely understood what the father was talking about, and the only way that he would have understood is if he had other knowledge regarding these two beasts coming back which is talked about in other books prior like okay you knock <laughs> yeah and you've reviewed this 
Yes. So Sean has up on the screen, guys, one of my videos in uh, here at Honor of Kings, Leviathan Returns. If you're intrigued by, you know, what this Leviathan and Behemoth uh, jargon is all about, feel free to check that video. Sean, I think we've got another one pulled up here that we both did. Um, last season. On last season, yeah, where we had uh, uh, a guest, a couple of guests on that episode with us, and we were reviewing the Book of Jubilees, where it talks about Leviathan and Behemoth as well. So, very, very interesting, guys. Um, so we have to add that into the mixture of all that's taking place in the Earth during these days ahead, and it just so happens that Leviathan and Behemoth are um, unleashed, I guess you could say. Yeah, and um, they have a specific uh eschatological usage for for their bodies which is to be food for all that are left which is interesting sean what do you think what do you think that means exactly well this actually your question flows perfectly into a comment we see in the chat because this is very common when this statement when this uh conversation pops up this is a very common Mm -hmm. basically what we're reading from the descriptions and we go over this in those two videos that we just put on screen for you to go check out both on Ken's channel and then on my channel in season two. Um, but we go over the actual qualifiers for what's described of Leviathan and Behemoth and how it lines up with clean food, dis- uh, clean animals described in Leviticus 11 and Jeremy 14. Right. Because so the father's know, all about know, keeping his law, right? Yeah. I know that I use the word reptile-like, but that's what they seem like in their description. But when you get into the nitty gritty and you look at the actual descriptions in scripture, they actually do fall in the categories of a clean food. So I'm not definitive i apologize for my poor wording i'm not definitively saying that they're both big lizards um, i was using the godzilla thing as a reference to people to understand the size but it they're not actually in the in a lizard category they're yeah. they're described as uh, animals that would be clean so right and you use that reference as not only just a size but as you know hollywood knowing essentially mm-hmm. what's gonna be part of this end of the age consummation uh thing is <laughs> that they're coming back and they're they're massive beasts yeah. and the angels have to actually take them out which is interesting and so the father is not going to create beasts for people to eat that are unclean yeah. so just because we have never tasted behemoth or leviathan yeah you know at any point in our lives doesn't mean that he couldn't have created these two beasts which scripture says he did create them specifically for this reason at the end of the storyline here yeah. so that they can be eaten because the world is going to look insane at the end it's good where there's going to need to be a, a food supply and not only leviathan behemoth are on on the buffet but there's to be manna as well so yeah we're going to read about the manna in the next chapter so it's but and just for uh clarity's sake on two points here not not only does this scripture say it but also second esdras in the book of enoch um and then also in my opinion there is an inference to it in the book of job when it's described i think it's job, job 41 describing leviathan but um about how they're actually cut up and used for food and so they're in multiple other testimonies that's why we did entire please you know we're we're having to skim through this now for the sake of time please go watch those videos we referenced we go into this this topic with great detail lots of conversation in scripture in those videos so don't miss those that they'll really help you with that um but as the the second part here comes from an actual comment which was your initial question to me and which is why are they given to the people for food right mm-hmm. and like you said there is massive massive destruction on the day of the lord right and in my opinion this massive earthquake that's prophesied in isaiah um isaiah 30 20 isaiah 20 
5.30, I believe, and also Revelation 16, 18, it destroys all the cities of the nations. So guys, think about this. You're going to have, if if one of those cities has not already been affected by um, all the 12 parts we just read about from chapter 27, you know, and all the, the warfare and the and the oppression, the hunger, the all the different problems, the plague, if those cities haven't been affected, they're they're literally going to be toppled and shaken to the ground. And when the when Yeshua returns, when the firmaments roll back like a scroll and Leviathan and Behemoth are surfacing, you know, I always wonder if that's a, a contributing factor to these major earthquakes across the world as these two massive beasts are surfacing. Because the Apocalypse of Abraham literally tells you that when Leviathan's moving in the underground tunnels uh, that he lives underneath the earth, mm -hmm. it causes earthquakes. So... Yeah, and that's uh, we got LJ Anglo in the comments or in the chat rather saying when Leviathan moves, the earth shakes. Yeah, very possible. That's <laughs> very, literally very what Apocalypse Abraham says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the reason why I mentioned this, Ken, is because that you know some people are thinking, well, why would they be given a food for the people? Because there's no supermarkets that are standing when Yeshua mm -hmm. returns. All the food sources are destroyed. I'm gonna, just going to guess most of the land uh, has been messed up because of warfare which is why we see um in other descriptions of the end times like uh the apocalypse of abraham and in revelation that the beasts of the earth are are affected by this too and the land's affected right. by this there's famine across the whole earth right. so you, no one's people were already starving so what we're seeing is when this moment happens when Yeshua returns and leviathan and behemoth are slain and used as food he's literally saving people and he created these beasts on day five of creation for this very purpose. That's why we don't see them right now. They're hidden away for this very purpose to pop up, to be used as a food source. And yes, if there is amongst the survivors of the nations of that day, if there's any vegan or vegetarian of that day, you're going to eat some Leviathan behemoth regardless. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it just, it, it just astounds me that the father, you know, knowing the end from the beginning knew to create these beasts at the beginning to keep them alive and to, to have them kind of in suspended animation, I guess you could say, until the end when when it says here, the Messiah shall then begin to be revealed. We want to highlight that in this passage, in this chapter two, guys, that the, this is a book that's referring to the Messiah returning at the end of the age as well in addendum to, to Behemoth and Leviathan being revealed as well. currently hiding out and so just it just astounds me sean that we got these beasts that the father knew way in advance would need to come into play nearing the end and he through his faithfulness and love and and just being a father who's who's likes to provide for his children yeah created these things specifically for that reason you had you had a really good explanation there man yeah. yeah, what's so hilarious about the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the world is that the world would laugh at what we're talking about right now and say, oh, it's like, you know, it's like medieval mysticism and fairy tale. Yet the world spends hundreds of millions of dollars making movies about Leviathan and Behemoth popping up and the nations trying to fight them. Mm hmm. Whereas scriptures say that only the angels can kill them. <laughs> That's how big they are. Right. So this is how this is a big deal. So like the. You know, the enemy knows the Bible's true and they're telling you stuff about the Bible all the time, but, but they're just telling you from a twisted perspective. Um, and of course, the people that are duped by the schemes of the enemy mock the Bible while going to pay $15 for a ticket to see Godzilla in 3D. You know what I'm saying? It, the hypocrisy is just mind blowing, but that's what happens when you're deceived. And, you know, 
That's but the good news is these this is a part of the father's plan to actually keep people alive mm -hmm. when he returns. Because remember all those people that showed up for the sheep and goats judgment in Matthew 25, 31? Yeah, they had to be fed in order to get there because they didn't have any food on the earth when whenever all this really comes to fulfillment and goes down. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And we have members of the Musk family who yeah. also believe yeah. that there is a Leviathan below us, guys. <laughs> we'll get into detail about that, but yeah, we've mentioned that in other videos, I think, but it's it's very it's very interesting. This isn't just random people believing this stuff. Uh, it's it's high level individuals who have invested interest in creating corruption in the earth and and providing false realities of what's taking place in this world, and they they need to trick you into believing something completely different, while also believing something that Sean and I are discussing right this second. So. Yeah. Absolutely, man. And in fact, it goes on uh, in the following chapter to express um, the manna. So um, do you want to read this? Yeah, read this is the following verses. Okay. Yep. Baruch 29. The earth also shall, sorry, the earth shall also yield its fruit 10,000 fold. And on each vine, there shall be a thousand branches and each branch shall produce a thousand clusters and each cluster produce a thousand grapes and each grape produce a core of wine. And those who have hungered shall rejoice moreover also they shall behold marvels every day for winds shall go forth from before me to bring every morning the fragrance of aromatic fruits and at the close of the day clouds distilling the dew of health and it shall come to pass at that selfsame time that the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high and they will eat of it in those years because these are they who have come to the consummation of the time <laughs> beautiful uh so great man what an amazing promise. yeah and you know this is what what hurts my heart so much about the um about the second exodus teaching is because they take some of these incredibly awesome parallels that we see in prophecy about the day of the lord that we do see paralleled in the exodus events but then they completely skip over the resurrection <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I, I've done, you know, four full videos on the second Exodus. Go check them out on my milk and meat playlist if you're interested. But um, this is another wonderful parallel with the Exodus bringing, you know, survivors out of Egypt, out of all the cataclysmic plagues and destructions that happen in Egypt. You got the typology is, is one to one here. It's completely lines up. All the things that we've just been talking about in verse at chapters 27, 28, these 12 parts of, of leading up to the end times where the world's going crazy. And there's all types of different destructions happening. And then when the Messiah returns, he comes back and he slays these two monsters. He, he's bringing down a city with him. He's going to open up the treasuries of heaven and drop bread from the sky. He's literally the bread of life bringing bread from heaven, guys. Yep. And he's going to bring it down to the people that need it. And these are the people that did not make the first resurrection. Yep. This is the king of glory sitting on the throne of mercy extending mercy to all these people that either didn't know about him or had rejected him. This is an incredible, incredible depiction of our Lord and King, our Messiah, the son of God. And, and I just think that like, it's a, it's a travesty that people would take this out of the Bible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's crazy. Preach it brother. I know. I yeah. know it, it really is. It's because have their own agendas and have their own versions of, of a kingdom on the earth that they want to be in control of that negates anything that has to do with this messiah you know yeah. character here 
But um, yeah, man, I mean, like, look, what do we got here? 10,000 fold on each fine. Like we're talking about, and it reminds me of like when they were going into Canaan and they saw these massive grapes yeah. being carried. <laughs> I'm not talking about GMO here or like anything like that, guys, like any type of hybridization here. I'm just saying like things are going to be amazing because the father and his kingdom have come. And finally, the the earth has received some respite from all these things that have accumulated over this this time period that we're talking about in Baruch. And it's going to flourish properly. We've got the 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 um, waters of life flowing from the Father's throne right out into the land. We have uh, the trees of life, which you know the people aren't going to be given access to directly to the actual fruit of the tree, but the leaves they're going to use for healing, which is very fascinating. All this to say, it's going to be an incredible environment that's going to flourish, and it, and it's going to be like a time that we've never experienced before. Yeah, you remember? Okay, there's there's a couple of things I want to touch on in these these four verses because they're just they're just so beautiful to me because I, you know, talk about the kingdom of God all the time on my channel and try to help people understand the coming kingdom of God that is at the beginning of the millennial reign. And this is a great example of that because he's literally helping the survivors survive with the Leviathan and Behemoth and manna falling from heaven. But you also see that this this is actually going into the first several years of the millennial reign because he's talking about the vineyards growing and producing incredible clusters by great numbers. That takes time. That's yeah. that when you plant plant a you know a wine vineyard, it's, it's you don't just pop up in three months. You know what you need. It's going to take time to mature those. And then according to the law of God, then you even have to with some of these trees, you got to wait three or four years before you can even use their fruits. So you've got time that's happening, which in my opinion is why at the end in verse eight, he says, and they will eat of it, meaning the manna as well. They will eat of it in those years. So this isn't just in the immediate months following the day of the Lord. This is in the years following. And and as the world is repopulating, as, as Ken said, the water of life flows out of the New Jerusalem, Ezekiel 47 explains to us and, and heals all the waterways of the entire world. In addition to that, in addition to bread falling from heaven and pure water of life coming from underneath Yeshua's throne, going out, or maybe the Father's throne, I think, actually, going out to the entire world, you're, you have him, you know, blowing out this beautiful fragrance. I know. <laughs> from Aromatic fruits. Yeah. yeah. And this reminds me of what we see multiple times in the book of First Enoch, where he's, yeah. he's getting a view of the kingdom and of the new Jerusalem and the mountains of God and interiors and the trees and everything. And he keeps talking about these aromatic smells of all these wonderful trees. So the reason in a practical sense, if I can make this as practical as possible to our everyday life, guys, you've, we've all seen apocalyptic movies. Okay. So let me, um, let me go back up to the first image. We've all seen apocalyptic movies where you've seen this, right? We've seen how many countless movies in the last 20 years with this kind of scene. The world's in chaos and destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, this would smell like a garbage heap. These, these places, these cities around the world that will be destroyed on the day of the Lord are going to be putrid with, with the dead, both men and animals, the sewer systems that have backed up and flooded the streets, the, the rampant you know, just decaying, nasty grossness, the potentially biological leftover weaponry. Like there, these are going to be places of absolute putrid smells that when the wind blows, and if you're downwind from that city, you might be subjected to that smell. But the father, even he's thinking about all the details for you. 
And I, I for not for hopefully not for you. Hopefully anyone watching will make take part in the first resurrection will be inside the city. But for all the survivors of the day of the Lord who's living outside the city, who might you know be trying to repopulate some of these incredibly destroyed areas of the world. He's thinking about you. Remember, there's four sides of New Jerusalem, and he's talking about sending out the four winds. So in my understanding, Ken, that's from each side. So he's going to send out yep. from each side of the city to all the world, because we don't live on a ball. He's, he's going to send out to in the entire atmosphere of the plane of the earth, underneath the dome, underneath the firmament, to literally be your Febreze. The yep. New Jerusalem is literally going to be your Febreze for the destroyed earth. The best air fresheners you've ever smelled, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In addition to free food, bread, water, all this other stuff, like you're going to get, he's going to make it smell good too. And then it's talked about in Isaiah, you know, going out and rebuilding the ancient cities that are destroyed. So this is, you know, and th there is, he's thought of everything, guys. He loves us. He loves mankind. It's not his wish that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. It's, and so he literally, when he shows up, he and his son, as he says in Enoch 105, 1 through 2, when he and his son descend to the earth, he's bringing good things with him. Mm -hmm. The only reason it's called Doomsday is because the enemy titles it Doomsday because they're afraid of him showing up. Yeah, and they want you to be terrified of it, to join their ranks with fighting him at his return. Yeah. So it's yeah, beautiful, beautiful images, Sean, popping up in my head when you were describing that. It's it's really incredible. And, and even you know, on top of this aromatic fruit that comes from the four winds, at the close of the day, clouds distilling the dew of health. So we have the Father. I, I when I think of this, I'm thinking the Father's. You know, the seven mountains are down on the earth, right? And we have these cloud formations taking place, and then they just disperse across the land. They're just dropping the, the dew of health, and it's from the waters of life. So it's just things. Uh, things are gonna turn around. It, you'll have that apocalyptic nastiness at first, but as you know. Over time, the Father's earth will look exactly as it should. Yeah, the whole earth, not just inside the New Jerusalem, but everything under the dome is going to look like the garden once he has time to get down here and restore it. Yeah, it's it's going to be amazing. So uh, we have one last chapter, unless there's anything else in 29. No, we can move ahead. Okay, do you want this one? Sure. And it shall come to pass after these things, when the time of the advent of the Messiah is fulfilled, that he shall return in glory. Then all who have fallen asleep in hope of him shall rise again. And it shall come to pass at that time that the treasuries will be opened, and which is preserved the number of the souls of the righteous. And they shall come forth, and a multitude of souls shall be seen together in one assemblage of thought, of one thought. And the first shall rejoice, and the last shall not be grieved. For they know that the time has come of which it is said, that it is the consummation of the times. But the souls of the wicked, when they behold all these things, shall then waste away the more. For they shall know that their torment has come and their perdition has arrived. I love this, Sean, so much because, like I said, we've got the Messiah right here, right? It's black and white. It, it, it's just, I get why you'd want to remove this if you hate this Messiah character that's the Son of God and you, you have your own agendas and you have your own idea as to how things should shape up. But what's interesting to me at the beginning here, brother, when the time of the advent of the Messiah is fulfilled, that he shall return in glory. That's right. That's so right. if he returns, what does that imply? He that was, he here, was before. here Exactly. Exactly. So I know, I know we, uh, we hear people, you know, any missionaries saying, wow, you know, where's, where's their scripture about anything to do with this, you know, the Messiah coming to earth and, and doing this and that. Well, 
we have right here Baruch being told by the father that his son is going to return in glory, which means that he was here in previous times. And we actually see in Second Ezra's that the Messiah is the son of the, of the father is, is prophesied to come within 400 year period, which came to pass. He used to come to earth. He came to pass and he died. So we have two books that talk about Messiah in, in ways that, you know, First, missionaries, yeah, just don't like. Yeah, it's, it, it just lays it out for you very blatantly by literally calling the Son of God and the Messiah in the same prophecies, and they talk about his first and second coming. Mm -hmm. So, of course, of course, people would want to remove this information from what they call the canon if they were trying to hide Yeshua. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. What else we got here, man? I mean, we've got the resurrection, right? Then mm -hmm. all who have fallen asleep in hope of him shall rise again. Yes, yeah, there's, I mean, there's first Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Exactly. Yep. That's the first resurrection event. Yeah. And it shall come to pass in time. Treasuries will be opened. So with the number of the souls of the righteous that it's talking about, that's obviously referring to Sheol, which which you know gives birth essentially and releases the souls that are preserved within her from Adam or the first man who was killed, Abel, all the way to the last person before Messiah returns, they're all released. And I like how Sean how it, it words it here. And the first shall rejoice, and the last shall not be grieved. <laughs> it, it, I think what it's communicating here is the first person could be able shall rejoice, and the last person to, to go into Sheol and be birthed out of it shall not be grieved as well. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be amazing, man. Like just be able to go up to Abel and just give him a big hug. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, my, is there a little bit of a glitch there? Am I still on? John? Yeah, I think your your feed is glitching a little bit um, from oh, my perspective. Right. I don't know if what the people are viewing, but um, so I apologize if there's a delay in my response. Oh, that's okay. We're coming to the end of the uh, episode anyway, so hopefully, yeah. Hang on there. Yeah, and this is this is what it talks about in verse five. We've mentioned this multiple times in previous videos because you know people ask us about you know, the wicked souls that are in Sheol being, being preserved for the judgment of the end of the millennial reign. And so this is a mention of those guys about how they're not getting out at the first resurrection at the consummation of the times, which is the start of the millennial reign. Um, they're, they're, they're going to stay in Sheol and wait till the end of the millennial reign to be resurrected at the great white throne judgment. This is why it says, and they, they will watch these things being happened and then they'll waste away the more for they know that their torment has come and their perdition has arrived. So that they basically know that, you know, that the guy who's going to judge them is stepping into his kingship on the earth. And that's the rest of the story is that they're resurrected at the end of the millennial reign to face Yeshua and mm -hmm. to be thrown into the lake of fire. So this is why they're emotionally in more torment when they see right. these things happen. Yeah, that's right. And we actually see an elaboration in the details of this, this unfortunate uh, torment that they're going to have to go through in chapters 49 and 50 it's the same Baruch in second Baruch here as well as in second Ezra's chapter 7 so yeah, it's, uh, this it's, is what Yeshua gives us this kind of insight of how this would even be possible in Luke chapter 16 19 through 31 when he says the rich man being in Hades and Sheol lifts up his eyes and sees Lazarus across a great cavern right so he can actually see the righteous and their good side of Sheol 
you know, and he knows that he's in a different place. He knows that Lazarus is being torn, being comforted in his side, but that the rich man is, who was considered wicked was being in torment on his side. You know, so he knows there's a difference in the state of their atmosphere and environment, which means when all the righteous souls in Sheol are resurrected and given new bodies and taken out of Sheol, everyone that's apparently everyone that's unrighteous on the other side of Sheol can watch it happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Yeshua can use that uh, scenario in Luke 16 and not have his audience be aghast to it. Like, what are you talking about? Are you pulling from paganism or, you know? No, he's pulling from First Enoch 22. He's pulling from Second Baruch, from Second Ezra, from many places, guys, that refer to this this uh, experience that we all are gonna, unless you're you're someone who doesn't die before Messiah returns, we're all gonna have to experience once we go into Sheol. So it's uh, it's very very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and and Stephen Schofield, you're right. Baruch was an incredible prophet. Um, not only that, but a a scribe. And um, and you know a priest, and so yeah, he was he was very important character that just has been overlooked by so many people um, because his book was taken out of the American canon. So yeah, Sean, before we uh, we move on here, I just wanted to touch on the part where it says, "And uh, the treasuries will be open, which is preserved the number of the souls of the righteous, and they shall come forth, and a multitude of souls shall be seen together in one assemblage of one thought." Yeah. I love that yeah. because isn't that what we're striving for, guys? Isn't that what we want? We want to have one thought. We want to be in unity. We want what Yeshua was praying for in John 17, 21. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. That's as you right. are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. We want that, right? And that's what Paul, I think, is referring to in Romans 15, 6, where he says, Then all you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to get. That's amazing. It is amazing. And like we're like you just mentioned, I mean, we're we're looking at the fulfillment of Yeshua's prayer, not just the generic idea of his prayer, but literally Yeshua's specific words in his prayer. We're looking at the fulfillment of that coming true in this passage mm -hmm. of Baruch. It's amazing. And this and this was written 600 years before Yeshua walked the earth. Exactly, exactly. Sister so. Joy in the comments is saying, yes, Ken, peace, no more debates. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. While debating can be fun and can be fruitful, depending on the debaters, it's, yeah, I mean, 30,000 plus denominations and all that other stuff. I mean, it's it's going to be great when we actually have that one mind, that one unity that, that the Father um, promises us for, for resurrection. So it's going to be a great day. It is. It is. Well, guys, uh, we're running to the end of the program here, but we'll take a, just a couple comments if you'd like. If if you have uh, uh, some questions here in the chat, put them in all capitalizations so we can see them quickly and easily. And then we'll take a few questions before we end the show. Yeah. So because that's that we're run to the end of the there's no more that we're going to be covering. Um, I don't actually have to, I'm not going to go over that, really. I don't have to go over that. Okay. And this has been a good one, brother. I, I thoroughly enjoy these chapters uh, in Baruch. And um, I know we've, what is this, episode number four that we've been in Baruch now? And uh, I'm not sure. We might we might actually switch gears here and, and move to something else. Um, yeah, if you guys want to let us know kind of in the comments, if you're watching this after we go live, let us know in the comments if you guys are, are okay with us remaining in second Baruch or if there's other books that you want us to address. I mean, Sean and I, we have a long list 
and uh you know we've got time to to go through some of these but you know give us your opinions yes yes yeah put them in the put them in the chat or in the comments if you're watching this later yeah thank you uh looks like joy has a question do you have any idea how much you guys are loved and appreciated <laughs> appreciate it joy yeah we know when we when i go over when i peruse my comment section after videos and, and and stuff like that and just you know see you guys you know providing encouraging remarks it, it does bless me a lot like i i i often go through them and just think this is this is a great family we have they're very encouraging and uh yeah i'm glad that that we are appreciated because um there's a lot of sweat and tears that goes into this stuff so i mean we got haters too unfortunately but yeah. the ones that appreciate us we we thank you for your kindness and your love and support absolutely yeah we've had haters literally since we started like within um i mean <laughs> that's how honor of kings started because we were on a different channel that decided to start hating on us and we had to leave that channel and this you know the show came with us obviously because this was our idea so like we we started we started out with fire um <laughs> we started out with lots of people coming at us for nonsense and uh just because the traditions of men got in their in their brain and made them forget how to act like brothers in christ so like yeah we we pushed through it because we see we've both ken and i have received the letters we've received the messages we've seen how people are affected by this because not only has it changed our understanding of scripture, but it's, it helps so many people understand the Bible better and their walk with Yeshua. And that's, it, it motivates us to do this. So we, you guys showing up and putting a like on the video, putting a comment, join us in the live chat, little stuff like that, supporting our Patreons, like, you know, donate to us and how you do all that stuff keeps us going, keeps us encouraged. We really appreciate you. Yeah. I mean, we're, this is our heart's desire, right? I mean, there's nothing better that we, we enjoy than, and going through the scriptures and presenting them to people who want to listen. There's nothing more important. I mean, look at the times we're living in, guys. I can't watch Super Bowl. I can't watch. I can't watch any of this stuff that is just meaningless. It's it's to the point where you know times are crunching together, things are speeding up, and and we need to know this stuff, guys. We need to sharpen each other and, and keep each other accountable and and pray for each other and and just try to remain in covenant the best that we can and i think that this is kind of what our heart is sean right is, is presenting yeah. all these things that are that are important that are otherworldly and uh hopefully that more and more people as people start to wake up will will you know quote unquote gravitate towards you know channels like this and unfortunately we have platforms that are suppressing the the outreach of these channels which is why we need lighthouse we need alternative <laughs> sources yeah. where we can we can reach the masses better that's actually what i'm really looking forward to sean on lighthouse is the ability to network at greater speeds than than other platforms offer so it speaking of lighthouse uh, it actually goes with this statement that d love is saying she says she's being she's you know she's making a joke she's saying thank you haters because now we're blessed by Sean and ken um because we were talking about how we you know we got kicked off another ministries platform because uh, when we first started, because they disagreed with our theology and didn't act very loving as a result. And so yet they couldn't back it up by scripture. So therefore they just decided to part ways with us as opposed to actually talk to us like adults. So as a result, we've pioneered our own thing and we come to a place where we are, but even better D check this out. 
Lighthouse is a is becoming a reality because of that event. So but the people that that found my ministry that talks then began um, later on with these people about, you know, that it turned into this idea of uh, Lighthouse being built and made um, is because they heard about what that ministry was slandering me and talking bad about me. And they watched some of my videos and they're like, well, he's not teaching anything weird. Why are they saying that about him? So they actually wanted to call me. And as a result of that process, you're about to get one of the best free speech platforms ever made um, to, to actually allow you to enjoy social media and get your message out there. And, um, and so the father definitely turned evil into good Yeah, and it's, it's literally happening and before my eyes in the last two years. So, um, cool. We have a quick question though, uh, from Latoya. I don't know if you want to try to tackle this one, Ken, or do you want me to tackle Clementine? Um, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, very, very rusty. The, uh, the church fathers, um, are not my forte, to be honest with you. There's, I'm, I'm more brushed up on Justin Martyr, um, and a couple others, but Clementine, no, I said Clementine's or Clementine. Um, uh, no, I'm really not. Yeah. Same, same here. I've read, um, I, I've read parts of him, but I haven't studied like every piece of, of his writing. So, uh, if you have a specific question though, about some theology he might teach and if it's found in scripture, uh, that would be that would be a good you know a pointed question would be better for us to answer i suppose mm -hmm. um i personally try to stick towards <laughs> scripture and some of these these yeah. books that we discuss on this channel and um even some of the earlier church fathers that you know someone like a polycarp or within first century second century anything beyond that honestly it, it just gets too watered down to uh, pagan infused in my opinion. And I just, I would prefer not to spend the little time that I do have reading stuff like that. I mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, if you have the time to do so, absolutely. But me personally, I can't, I can't get to some of these texts, unfortunately. So maybe one day. But. Yeah. If you know the, the, you know, 66 that we have really, really well, you start to get into the um, church, early church fathers in the second, third, fourth and fifth century. And you start quickly seeing how, how they had deviated from sound doctrine. And this is where you start seeing the formation of all these wonky Catholic doctrines. So we, we don't want to go into a whole different breakdown of all the different church fathers. There were some that were good, a lot of them that were bad, but ultimately that I would like, Ken, I just would encourage learning the Bible first. That's your foundation. Don't get, don't get off into the commentary, learn the foundation first. We have Micah six, eight is asking, what do you think about the Genesis Apocryphon? I personally, what little snippets I can actually find of it from the Dead Sea Scrolls translated in English, it's interesting because it actually, uh, the parts that I read, it actually has Abraham teaching Pharaoh the book of First Enoch, which I think is amazing. <laughs> it's truly amazing. But I, th I think there's a little more out there that I read about, but did not actually have an English translation too. So Micah 6.8, if you've got a good link to the entirety of an English translated uh, Genesis Apocryphon from the Dead Sea Scrolls, I'd love to take a look at it. Yeah. I, I haven't actually read it, so I have nothing to comment on with that. But, John, you want to pull up Johnny King Rodriguez's comment there? The polycarp? Yeah, they're asking, polycarp, uh, like the fish, polycarp, was good, right? Yes, yes. He was a direct apostle of, of John the Apostle. And unfortunately, we don't have many of his writings. They didn't, well, I'm, I'm sure they were gotten rid of, but there was one that survived, and it's very good. It's very good. Brief, but it's good. Yep. In fact, I actually used some of his writings in a video I did 
um, as an apologetic for the Apostle Paul. And let me see if I can pull that up just real quick. And that might help because uh, several months yeah, ago, there was a lot of fire against Paul. And yeah. so yeah, I, the anti-Paul crowd came out and, and Sean had to address that with the video. And uh, it's a good video. Yeah. So I'll put it on screen real quick for us to look at. Um, and I'll, you can, you can go check it out because I use some of his writings in there um, because he, he is, he does have, credibility with what not just his theology but also with um who he was you know trained by so this is called was paul kicked out of asia minor as a false prophet and so i'm going to put this in the live stream for you to go check out as well as the link but um but i actually use polycarp's writings in here yeah yeah and he's fully endorsed brother paul yeah as did several individuals um you know, who would be yeah. classified as church fathers. But, uh, yeah. Yep, well, yep. Sean, I think this is, uh, as far as we'll go this evening, it's uh, getting into the wee hours of the night here in Nova Scotia, Canada. And, uh, yeah, I just thank you guys so much for joining us again. And um, not sure what we're going to do next week, but uh, it could be Baruch. We might we might move to different chapters of Baruch. I'm not sure. It depends on. on we'll leave it as a surprise. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it. But uh, thanks for joining us. Subscribe, please. Hit the like button. All those things that we say, you know, to get you know the YouTube algorithms in a frenzy. So do that. Go over to Sean's channel, and uh, we love you guys. And we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, we'll see you guys next time. My name is Ken Heidebrook. My heart's desire here at Hanging On His Words is to spread the entirety of the gospel message to whoever will hear it and to serve my Creator by helping people learn how to be obediently in covenant with me. Hanging On His Words is a ministry that not only teaches others how to run this faith race, but does so through compelling video and musical content. If you are someone that has personally been blessed by my music or video teachings or both, Please consider contributing to my efforts. My goals are to step up my music and video production value, and more importantly, to create content on a more frequent and full-time basis. This is where you, you, yes, you, my patrons can make this possible. Whether your support is financial or through prayers and encouragement, I just wanted to say thank you very much.